Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Let's pray to that God. Our Lord, gathered together this morning in this place are a band of people whom you, the Good Shepherd, sought out. And left to ourselves, we were absolutely, utterly, completely disqualified from a welcome with you. But you qualified us by sending your son to pay sin's penalty for us, to be our redeemer. You swept us out of darkness, out of death, out of corruption, into your own embrace. We're asking that today, that same mercy and grace and loving loyalty that you embraced us with would be evidenced in our time together that you will disclose yourself and your ways to us not only through the preaching of the word but Lord also in our fellowship with one another we might be your servants with one another we ask this of you good shepherd knowing that only you can fully do that through us in your name shepherd Jesus we ask this amen you forgive me. Well, you know what? The Psalms, they were actually recited to the accompaniment of, they weren't sung, they were, so we just did what David did, okay? So, God bless us. No, God forgive us, please. <laughs> All right, please, if you have a Bible with you or one of those mechanical or electronic devices, uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 31, which is a, as is most of the Gospel of Mark. <sighs> what did we just pray for a few minutes ago? Oh Lord, as we need correction, Lord, give us correction. Oh Lord, as we need correction, give us correction. Oh Lord, as we need. 
incessantly in Mark's gospel, what do we have Jesus doing? You knucklehead apostles. <laughs> and it's the same message over and over and over and over. Be humble. Be humble in seeking out your Lord. Be humble in your service to one another. Humility, 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 humility. And he has to keep, and they keep falling back to their old ways. Does that sound familiar? And he has to set them right again and again and again and again. He was with these guys for three plus years. We can be very, very thankful that one of the things that Jesus exhibited was not only a steadfastness with the truth, but also outrageous, humble. He exhibited humble patience. Now, sometimes humble patience can begin with, just like when you were raising your kids, if you were a parent, uh, you get out that wooden spoon and you correct them put to put their feet on the right path. Well, Jesus is constantly correcting these. But it's not just the apostles. It's the entire Jewish community. Who is it of all the people in the Jewish culture of Jesus' day that most of the Jews actually admired the most? Who was it? The Pharisees. The Pharisees had sold a bill of goods to the Jewish culture. Oh, they actually had created extra rules that only they had the time and money <laughs> to keep up with so that they could turn around to the people who didn't have the time, didn't have the money, and say, look at you, look at you wicked people who aren't as fully righteous as we are. They were full of religious pride. Religious pride. What is the most, in God's nostrils, the most obnoxious sin there is, is the sin of pride. And that was the sin of the Pharisees. But they also would kind of stretch out God's, when it was inconvenient for them to do God's laws, let's kind of stretch this out, stretch this. They had a way, a formula, whereby they could salve their own conscience and try to appeal to the conscience of the nation. Oh yes, we are the most holy of fellows. And they come to Jesus, Mark chapter 10, verse 1, and Lord willing, we're going to cover verses 1 through 31, which is actually one giant message. It's all one giant message. <clears throat> it's about humble servanthood. The message title that I chose for this is Service of Self and Others. How do I serve myself authentically and how do I serve others authentically? Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Then he, Jesus, arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. So he's on the east side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to him again, and as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. 
And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Now as he was going out on the road, one running knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, 
Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Tough stuff. Rugged stuff. What does it mean to be an authentic follower of Jesus? Every one of these statements that Jesus makes ultimately goes back to the same lesson. Humility. Humility. Be servants of one another. Be servants of one another. Did, you, did I make myself clear? Be servants of one another. What are we supposed to be for one another? Servants, servants, servants. Wash feet, wash feet. Be servants. And the higher you are up in the cultural chain, the more you humble you should be. The more humble you should be. The Pharisees came. Not because they were seeking truth, but because they were trying to seek some way, some way, some way to bring an accusation against Jesus. And of course, as it does in every instance, it, it never works. It never works. Jesus is wiser than them. He actually understands what the Bible says, not their twisted understanding. He understands what it says, and he speaks straight from the shoulder. The Hebrew scriptures are not unclear. And they say, is it lawful? Well, what does the law say? Yes, you can do this, but was it really God's will? Was it his truly holy will? No. It was Moses actually giving them a way of fulfilling their own lack of commitment to the vow that they had made and to the person that they had made a vow to. And so where you find this, uh, is in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, is where you find Moses telling the people, if you want a divorce, this is the format for getting a divorce. But it was only because of the hardness of your heart. When a couple takes a vow, in today's modern wedding ceremonies, what's the final thing you say? till death us do part. I, the male of this couple, will be the servant of my wife. And the wife says, I will be the servant of my husband. And together, as we are serving one another, we will be able to authentically advance our own blessing, but also the kingdom. And so, what Moses allowed them to do, and in the, in the first century Jewish world, it wasn't just husbands divorcing their wives, it was also wives taking advantage of it and divorcing their husbands, because my, hus my spouse doesn't please me. My, my spouse doesn't please me. By the way, the legal father of Jesus, Joseph the carpenter of Nazareth, when he found out from Mary, oh, I am with child of the Holy Spirit, uh, yeah, really? He, they already had a legal contract on file at their version of the county courthouse. 
They were already had a legal relationship. He was going to quietly, secretly get that set aside because he didn't want her to be stoned to death, which is what the law of Moses required if she was actually guilty of adultery, was stoning. I didn't want that. He didn't want that to happen. And of course, what happened? An angel spoke to Joseph and said, no, 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 Mary's telling you the truth. Go ahead and marry her. Oh, okay. And he did. By the way, Joseph, every step of the way, where in both Matthew and Luke, where he is spoken of, he is always doing the right thing. He is always doing the right thing. And guy, he is the one in the couple, and it's always the angel speaking to Joseph and then leading them in the right direction through Joseph, the leader of the family. But he was... Talk about being a servant. Joseph was a servant, and so was Mary. So was Mary. And, but that is what every married couple is to be like. They are to be, we are to be servants of one another. And to do otherwise is authentic betrayal. Because you each took a vow. You took an oath to be servants of one another. And then, beginning in verse 13, where they, people are seeking to bring their children, their little children, to Jesus. This is, this is at least the third instance this has happened. And the apostles have gotten in the way. No, no, no. And Jesus, in both of the, in all the previous opportunities, Jesus has rebuked them every time. No, 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 no. In fact, you are to be like little children. How are, what is the mental and emotional mentality we are to have in seeking uh, help from the God of mercy, grace, and love? We come to him with empty hands and empty pockets. Lord, it's you or it doesn't happen. It's your mercy or it doesn't happen. It's your grace or it doesn't happen. It's your love or it doesn't happen. It's your kindness or it doesn't happen. May I please? And 100% of the time, God says, yes, 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 yes. But we are to come as, in humility, as little children. And as I've noted before, when we've had these episodes, children, one of the impacts of Christianity in the Western world is the elevating of children. Childhood, it used to, in many, many cultures even today, children are just a burden. We can't wait till they get big enough and strong enough to actually help us make some money out in the fields. <laughs> They're just a burden. No, not to God. Your children are to be served. They have nothing that they can pay you back with. They're still little kids. They can't help you. They're totally dependent on you. <sighs> And I've got to serve these little ones who can't help me at all. Yes, just like God does with you. Oh. Oh. Uh, maybe I should be godly. Godly is just an abbreviated form of God-like. <laughs> Ephesians 5.1, our favorite verse. Everybody say it with me. Be imitators of God as beloved children. 
We're to imitate God in his mercy, love, and grace. Parents were to be imitators of God in the love and grace and mercy for their children. And we are to come to God as his little children. But then we are to serve one another as if, you know, this fellow, he is my child. He is my little needy one. He's my, and he, I am his little needy one. He will see, meet my needs. I will meet his needs. And so with my wife. And so, We are to be humble before one another, but we are also to be seeking opportunities to serve one another in humility. Not parading our holiness. Not parading our our authentic desire. No, it is done with humility. Seeking all the glory to go to God. They bring to him the little children. And the disciples are stopping them. They've done this before and he's rebuked them every time. They're just as dumb as me. Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Every human being welcomed into the kingdom has come as a little child with nothing to offer God but the need for forgiveness. Let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, Lord, thank you for your mercy. You've granted me a welcome into your embrace, into your kingdom as an act of mercy and grace. You had no obligation to me, except the obligation you placed on yourself. Let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, Lord, I got no claim except your your promise of mercy. I come as a child. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. You better not have any concept of self-righteousness in your mind or heart. You better have no concept of, oh, hey, Lord, aren't you just really blessed to have me stepping into your embrace? No. (laughs) We are all stinky sinners that he cleanses and forgives. And welcomes. He loves mercy. And he took them up in his arms. Laid his hands on them. These little children. And blessed them. These little children who could do nothing back for him. He welcomed. Embraced and blessed And then we have an example in the next paragraph of a little child who comes to him. Now, he's a grown-up little child, and he doesn't really realize. He's got a sense of humility, but it's not complete. And that's his problem, as we will see. Now, as he was going on the road, one came running, 
knelt before him and asked him, saying, Good teacher, stop. What did you call Jesus? Good teacher. As we go through this passage, what we're going to see about this fellow, it's not outright stated. He doesn't fully understand who he's talking to. Jesus is a good rabbi, good teacher. But he doesn't fully understand who Jesus is. And that becomes evident as the narrative proceeds. Good teacher. Yes, Jesus is a good teacher. He is a good rabbi. But he's so much more than that. He is on his way to Jerusalem to do the work that will redeem humanity. And so Jesus says, why do you call me good? You know what? That is a a descriptive term that is fully only fitting for God himself. That's where we get the word God is an abbreviated form of good. The God of the Bible is the only good God the human race knows anything about. All of the pagan gods, the Hindu gods, all the pagan gods of the ancient times, and none of them were good. They didn't even pretend to be good. They just had power. And you better bow the knee to me. But he says, good teacher, good rabbi, why do you call me good? Stop. The first thing you need to get straight, young man, is who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? Peter has already confessed in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 8, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The apostles have it. And many of the other disciples that surrounded Jesus had it right. This guy did not have it fully right. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one only. That is God. You know the commandments. What's the formula if you're familiar with in the Jewish culture? Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered Jesus and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Oh, I'm, I'm real good on all those things. Got it covered. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Why? Because is, while he does have some things wrong, apparently his motivation is authentic. He looked on him and loved him. And then he spoke loving words to him. One thing you lack. Okay, let me ask you a question. Of the Ten Commandments, which commandment number ten? You shall not covet your neighbor's life, wife, stuff, reputation. You know you can covet not only the things that other people have, you can actually covet the things that you have in a way that is detrimental Let me tell you something, folks. My wife could testify to this, and I've admitted this before. I've got the best cast iron uh, cookware collection you will ever see. <sighs> yes, I do. I have a massive number of books. What I've got in my office is half of what I've got. The other half, just as big a library, is at my house. 
many of those books I've never even read. <laughs> but I got them. You can covet the things you have as well as the things you don't have, and it's just as detrimental. Not just worshiping the idol that's in the temple, but the idol that's in your house. You have to be very guarded against stuff. Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross. Ouch, ouch, ouch. And follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Oh no. Oh no. He had an idol. His identity was wrapped up in his possessions. His, the stability of his life. I need those possessions to experience in life the things I, should, I want to experience. No, the things you want to experience are the things that God wants for you, and that's far better. If you sacrifice to me, I will more than make up for the sacrifice with kingdom glory. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And then shock of shocks, the disciples were astonished at his words. What? Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. You mean that guy living in the mansion on the hilltop isn't that a great blessing from God? Not necessarily. It can be a curse you've brought on yourself. It can be a curse you've brought on yourself. These apostles, they need to get their mindset, their orientation in this God, uh, godless environment, culture. They need to get themselves oriented to God's standard and viewpoint. But he's pulling them away from this tar baby. The disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. Notice, trust in riches. You can have riches, but not trust in them. Job had riches, but he did not trust in them. How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Well, they all instantly knew what he was talking about. And the standard format, all their towns and cities had walls around them. In the Psalms where it talks about where the psalmist is on his trek to Jerusalem, I go from strength to strength. It really means stronghold to stronghold because you don't want to spend your night out in the wilderness. You wanted to spend your night in a walled town to keep yourself protected from bandits because there were bandits all over, even the Israeli hills. But, and so they would have a big gate, but they also had a small door 
beside the big gate. And so at night, as the sun's going down, they're closing the big doors, but they have this little door. Why do they have the little door? So that they would have soldiers, they had have people there, guards at the, at the gates, through the night, and if somebody came knocking on the door, seeking shelter, seeking help, okay, we don't know if you're real or if you're a bandit. So we have this little door you can come through. You have to actually crouch down to come through it. You're not going to come charging through. We, we're standing here with our, our spears and swords, and so if you charge through there and you're a bad guy, we'll, we'll take you out. But it was this little door. Well, supposing the person came and they had a camel. Well, you only, the only reason you'd have a camel is you have it covered with goods, with, with stuff. Well, the camel only could get through that little door, which they actually called the eye of a needle. They could only get through that door if they, they took all of the goods off of it and it crouched down on its knees and crawled through without any of the wealth that it carried up to the building, up to the town, had to unload all that, then crawl through, then it could be, the camel could get in through the entrance, and of course his master could also come following, had to bend down too. But the camel could bring no, none of the wealth it was carrying into the town. And so it is with the wealthy of this world in our mindset as we approach God. Let's say you're a multi-multi-millionaire or billionaire. What's your mindset as you holy God? You better have the same mindset as that little child. I've got nothing to offer. Lord, my wealth means nothing to you. What is my wealth compared to your? It's nothing. It's pocket change. It's nothing. I've got nothing except a desire for your mercy. I am on your welfare program. I come to you, God, as a beggar. And God says, and I'm happy to fill your cup. I'm happy to meet your needs. Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Oh, wait a minute, Jesus. Hey, our feet are already on that path. How cool is that? Yeah. They had left behind their trades. They had left behind that so-called assured way of feeding their families and themselves, meeting their family's needs. They had left that behind. Has their family needs been met since? Oh, yes, but by a completely different format. The format for a welcome with God is His mercy, not my works. See, we have left all and followed you, said Peter. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, 
for my sake and the gospel's, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Stop right there. Jacob gave a testimony Friday night. He went down to Ecuador, spent a couple weeks with his dad, who's a missionary in Ecuador, and wonderful, wonderful testimony. His dad has gone to Ecuador, and he has been a very patient servant with those. He simply went, met the Christians, and then just was with them, and was not insistent, was not pushy. When they had come to the conclusion, oh, this guy is for real. He is here to be a servant. He is actually, and he has, we've heard him actually speak God's wisdom. What has happened with his father's ministry? The doors have opened, but he he exercised patience that those doors would open so that they would hear what the Holy Spirit had to say through his word. They are now seeking his discipleship ministry. Well, the same thing happened with Jesus. The same thing would be happening with the apostles. And so they would, does Jacob's father have close friends? And what we could put with quotation marks, family? We are a family. We are a family. He has had a family, spiritually speaking, gather around him by simply walking the Jesus walk with them. Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Will you be welcomed into the homes of these people that you've gone to serve? Yes, you will as God opens those doors, and you will be welcomed into wonderful places by wonderful people who are seeking, humbly seeking help from you. And in the age to come, and in the age to come, eternal life. Eternal life isn't immortality. It isn't defined as living forever, although it is. Eternal life is an unrestrained relationship with the true and living God. That's eternal life. The lake of fire is eternal death. A welcome with God is eternal life. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first, the people who have the greatest renown, will be last and the last first. When we step into kingdom glory, we're going to meet outrageous heroes and heroines of the faith we never heard of. And we're going to be blown away by the testimony of how God had used them testimonies we had never heard but that God had used them and we will get to fellowship with those men and women forever and as well as God himself 
unrestrained fellowship with the holy God and with the people whom he made holy, including, to our greatest shock, us. Because it's mercy, mercy, mercy. Are we glad that it's mercy? I think all God's people can say, Amen. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we are so grateful that you are a God of mercy. You are also a God of humility. You sent your Son to serve us. And in imitating his servant by the enabling power of your Holy Spirit and by imitating his servant format, we become truly useful to you and able to truly serve not only you but serve one another. And in fact, that is the proof of our service to you is the measure by which we serve one another. We are asking that this day, this week, you would enable us to authentically, seeking no glory, authentically serve one another. Not just the members of this congregation, although that's wonderful, but also the people of this community and our family members who may be stretched out all over the world. We ask that you would enable us to be servants of one another in imitation of you, Lord Jesus Christ. May we be children receiving service, but also serving one another. Seeking nothing back except what you will grant to us in that great day to come. We ask this of you, good shepherd Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.